Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. Seems like we've got some background noise, and uh, hopefully it doesn't put you to sleep. We, we, uh, we have a noise machine for all of our kids, and we put them to sleep, and, uh, and it's just like that pouring rain sound, you know? So if I, like, just pass out while I'm, while I'm preaching and end up just falling asleep standing up, uh, you'll know why, okay? And uh, this rain's coming down. But I'm excited to have you today. Um, one thing that I want to do before we get started is I would like to um, just spend a minute... Um, with you praying yourself. I want to pray as well. I want to take a moment of silence in regards of just praying, and I want to pray for a a couple of specific things. One of those things um, would just be for our church and just for uh, the people of our church and the culture. Um, One of the things that we are fighting against in this culture consistently is consistency. Um, uh, That's that's kind of the the nature in which we're we're pushing back against is forms of inconsistency just in regards of relationship with God, in in regularity uh, in church on Sunday mornings, um, in in Bible study, etc., We are pushing back against um, inconsistency um, in a sense of which uh, the culture, our culture, just the American Christian culture, we can kind of slip in and we don't really see anybody and then we're going to leave and no one will notice and then we'll be back in like three weeks. Right. And um, and we don't want that. We don't want to see that. The reason being is because um, it doesn't produce growth. It doesn't produce growth towards God and and love towards God and and growth in your relationship with God. And so I want to pray. I want you to pray for that. And I also want to kind of uh, give you the 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 reins, I guess, the leadership, the 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 give you give you permission in that sense to reach out to your brother and sister in Christ on a consistent basis. And to say to them, hey, look, like, I haven't seen you in a few weeks, or, or I haven't seen, um, or, or I've watched you, and, and just th- there seems to be s- something going on in your heart. Are you okay? Are, are, is your relationship with God okay? Because that's ultimately what we care about. We want to see people's relationship with God grow deep and last long. And so I want you to be a person who, who notices the people around you, loves your friends, loves your brothers and sisters in Christ, and reaches out to them and uh, and even praise for them when we see um, inconsistency, because I know what Satan wants to do so often is kind of snatch you from a group, from a body of believers because of busyness or because of, 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 of being um, sorrowful of where you're at in your faith or, or whatever it might be, and as soon as he isolates you on your own, then, then he's got full reign to do whatever he wants in your life, and, and we want to protect against that. The second thing I want us to pray for is just in regards to, um, to Easter Sunday, uh, Last week, I know we kind of gave you guys this challenge, uh, two cards to get out to the people in your own world. Anybody get their two cards out yet? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you guys. I've heard a lot of stories. Some of you guys are like, uh, yeah, yeah, you got work to do, okay? You only got a month left. And uh, But I've heard some great stories of people inviting the people in their own world um, to Easter, bringing them um, a card, even though they're nervous to do so, and saying, will you just come? And, uh, and what, a, what a great thing. Um, God uses it. Isn't it crazy? He uses little things like, like pieces of card stock 
to eventually lead someone to a church to where they can hear God's word and the gospel, come to know Jesus and be forever with him in eternity because of a piece of cardstock. Isn't that incredible? God uses all things. So I want to encourage you in that way to, to invite this person, invite those people who you're thinking about in your own world to come to church. So let's go ahead and let's just pray. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for our people. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for consistency. And then let's also pray for Easter Sunday in hopes and, and that God will move in the lives of the people in your own world and will bring them here on that special day. Can you guys pray? Take a second in, in prayer by yourself. Okay, let's do it. Father, as we listen to the rain outside, we are reminded that uh, your word never returns void. Um, it's like rain. It, it, when it goes out, it, it, it does things. It produces things. And God, we know when, when people come to hear your word and when they find a body of, of believers and they enter into uh, discipleships and community groups and, and those types of relationships and hearing the gospel, that your word will produce fruit in their lives. And so we pray, God, over the people um, who, who we love so much, who are in this community, who are, who are maybe even part of this faith family, and that, um, that you would draw them into to consistency, that Satan wouldn't have a reign and rule in their life and wouldn't um, maybe discourage or deter or distract them um, from their relationship with you, but that uh, they would see uh, you as great and you would do a mighty work in their life to draw them in. I pray for the people here in this church. I pray, God, that they would uh, take full advantage um, and ownership of the opportunity to reach out to the people in their own world, to reach out to their fellow church members, and to love them well and, and by checking in on them and inviting them into the fold. God, I also pray um, that, we would, uh, that we would see a courage amongst the people of our church um, among myself and, and all of us in regards of inviting people to Easter. I know that's scary. I know that that's hard. But I know that, that person to person and, and an, a personal invite might allow someone to come and, and hear the gospel and understand it for the first time or even become part of a church family, a healthy church family for the first time. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us boldness and courage. And I pray that we would see much fruit. God, I pray over our, our day today and what we're going to look at in your word. And I pray that you would do a great and mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to start it off, we're going to continue on in the challenge that we've been um, facing. And, and, and uh, what that has been is by memorizing through the names of the books of the Bible in order, okay? Anyone been practicing last week? Uh, we had a little bit of a break. Okay, like hands are down right now. You guys realize that, right? Like look around, okay? You guys got to be practicing. But I know so many of you are. And also when we bring this up, uh, many of you guys, as you repeat this, are going to find that it's um, that it's coming back to you naturally because we've repeated it so often. You know, one of the ways in which I've helped my children um, come to, to, to memorize scripture and, and to, to remember these passages in scripture is to just repeat them over and over again. We'll take like a verse 
or part of a verse, and I'll repeat them before we go to bed for like a month. Like seriously, like 30 days straight, like the same part of that verse will just go over, and then maybe like when I realize that he or she gets it, we'll start towards the next section or the next part or another verse. And just that repetition over and over again, you'd be surprised how that compiles, and then you're able to memorize verses. And so that's what this has allowed us to do is to memorize these books of the Bible in order, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through these, we're gonna read them first, okay? We only have like three more weeks left of this, okay? I mean, get this, ready? We have like this week, we're gonna add a few books, next time we're gonna add a few more, and then the following week we're gonna be done with memorizing the book. And then I'll be able to start preaching like when the service starts, okay? Instead of like 20 minutes into it, then we can start our sermon, okay? So ready? Let's go ahead and just read these off the screen. We've been memorizing through these, and then, um, and then we're going to take them away and see if we can recite them by memory. Ready? <clears throat> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Okay, we read it. Now here's a real challenge. Okay, you ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. Good job. You guys did it, right? Unless you're faking me out, I'm seeing it, okay? So next, today, we're going to add three more. Philemon, Hebrews, James. Can you say that again? Philemon, Hebrews, James. Say it again. Philemon, Hebrews, James. Again, Philemon, Hebrews, James. We were in the first service, our, our volunteer service, we were trying to figure out like an acronym that would help us. And someone said like, peanut butter something, I don't know, with an H, and then jelly, right? And so then what we came up with was peanut butter and jelly, all right? <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to help you in this venture, but uh, I hope that that does help you, okay? Peanut butter and jelly. All right. Philemon, Hebrews, James. You ready? Here we go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. 
Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Okay, well, we're going to continue on in that in hopes that uh, <clears throat> that will help you as you um, use God's word for yourself. Well, we're going to continue on um, today through the book of, of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we are. And uh, as we've been going through the book of Luke, one of the greatest things about going through a book of the Bible is that it, de- it creates deep longevity and heart change in regards to your faith. Now listen, ready? When you walk through a book of the Bible, again, sometimes... As you walk through it, it doesn't maybe seem um, instantly helpful. And I, and I want us to be aware of that. I want us to be careful of that because in, in the course of going through a, a book of, of the Bible, there is great themes. There are big pictures that are happening that are, without you even knowing the, the depth of it, as you're reading this and understanding it, are having deep work in your heart that's changing you at a heart level that will produce lasting change. It's changing the way that you think. It's changing the way that you feel. It's changing the way that you observe the world. It's helping you to understand what God is doing in the big picture. And I want, us, I want you to trust that. I want you to trust that as we walk through this. It's, it's sometimes uh, easy to say, um, man, I, I want to know specifically about this or specifically about that. And I want to tell you that as this book unfolds, it's going to help us understand things at a heart level and change us on a deep level that will help us think the right way and understand things the right way. Specifically, um, one of the things that I want to be true of you is I want you to get, continue to have a great appreciation and understanding of the gospel. Now listen, this is a big deal because oftentimes I think in our faith what happens is we say, okay, I've got the gospel, I've come to know Jesus, and now I want to move on into great Christian growth. And we got to be careful with things like that because Without the gospel as the foundation, the good news of Jesus Christ and all that means for us, without that as the foundation of what we do, then really Christianity becomes an effort-filled, self-focused achievement um, rather than a trusting on the merit of Jesus dependent upon the grace of God. Um, working for the glory of God. And also what happens is it, it ends up not being the goal. Like the, the gospel ends up not being the goal of my growth because then I don't want to see other people come to know Jesus. I don't want Jesus to be glorified and made known in the gospel to be high and lifted up. But instead, I just want to get better, 
right? And, and God wants to make you better, but he wants so much more for you than just to make you better. He loves you so much as to not make you your own God. Because if he made you your own God, or if he allowed you to make your own God, or that the gospel was your achievement, then what would he, he be giving you? It would be second best. It wouldn't be the best, because he is the best. The gospel is the greatest thing that you could have. Understanding who Jesus is and living for his glory and loving him with all your heart and being changed by him is the greatest that God could give you. And it gives, he gives you all this in the gospel. And so here's what I want to encourage you with, is that we, I want us to be people who love and are dependent upon still on the gospel. And I don't know about you, but, but the times in which I'm I'm so, so appreciative of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, is when I'm very aware of my own sin. Um, when we begin to think that we're in a place in which we have kind of passed through any sin struggles and we, got, we really got no more sin, I mean, sometimes maybe we struggle with a couple things, but it's not regular. I'm probably good with God because I've made it and on my own, or I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job, then there's, there's no wonder that the gospel's not sweet to you anymore. For me personally, when I'm aware of my own sin and I'm like wondering like, oh man, I wonder why God is not just like striking me dead right now with that lightning bolt, because I'm ready, like here it comes, okay? I, I'm waiting, where is it, where is it at, right? Man, he's, he's patient. And he's kind of, when I'm aware of my own sin and how the depth of my sin separates me from God and, and I'm deserving of punishment because of it, man, the gospel becomes so sweet. And I love it. And I, I think, man, I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done for me. And so I, I, want, I want you, I want you to be a Christian who is aware of your sin, the depth of it, and how it separates you from God and is deserving of punishment. And yet, that would point you to how great the gospel message is. That Jesus has died for your sin, and he's called you back into a relationship with him by paying the price. And that your Christian growth doesn't ever move beyond or move past or go without the gospel as the foundation. It only goes deeper into the gospel dependent upon his grace through what Jesus has done for you. And I think this is all going to come to light and come to the surface in what we read and understand today. See, one thing that Luke is doing up into this point, okay, and we're going to read in a minute. The one thing that Luke is doing up into this point is he is really establishing who Jesus is. He is really establishing who Jesus is. And again, we might become bored with that, like, yeah, I know, let's get on to his adult life where we can see the miracles and see all this, these things that would maybe actually apply to us. You're like, why, Luke, are you spending so much time, I mean, passage after passage, word after word, paragraph after paragraph, establishing who Jesus is. He's the king, right? He's the, the, the one we come to in order to be in right standing with God. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's coming through the line of David, right? Um, he's the one that heaven rejoices in, remember? 
Remember in the, a couple weeks ago, we opened up to, to see the, what was happening in heaven and them rejoicing in the gospel. He's the treasure of heaven. I mean, we've seen so many things about Jesus. Why do you have to keep telling us about who this Jesus is? And again, that's because of one of the purposes of the book of Luke is for him to do that. The whole real book is that purpose. It's like, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the savior. He is the redeemer. He has paid for the price of sin. This is it. He is it. This is the whole point of everything. Like Luke is setting us up consistently through the whole book and establishing who Jesus is. Because that's the foundation of our faith. And so in this passage, we're going to see once again who Jesus is. But listen, today it's going to be completely in regards to salvation. We've seen kingship. We've seen seen anointed Messiah. We've seen a lot of these things. But today specifically, our, our passage is going to show us who Jesus is specifically in regards to salvation and saving us and paying the price for our sins. Now, Why do I say that? Well, because today our passage is going to be filled with law. You're going to see law everywhere in this passage, okay? Law, when I mean law, is I mean Old Testament law, okay? That's going to be everywhere in our passage today. What is the law supposed to do? Or what was the main point of the law in the Old Testament? Well, the main point of the law, anybody know? Say it out loud was to point out what? Our sin, right? So that's what the main purpose was of the law, to point out sin, like that's it. And so the law showed God's people, showed the world, right, that, 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 we, are in, that we are sinful, that we are in sin, that we have sin, and that we need, our, our, our payment, we need a payment, we need our sin to be paid for. And so this whole passage is chock full of law, ultimately pointing us to the need of what? A savior. So that we're gonna see this in this. And then we're gonna see here how Jesus keeps the law and and his family keeps the law, which you wonder, well, why does Jesus need to kind of be under the law? Galatians 4.4 tells us that he he was born under the law to redeem the people who were under the law. He fulfilled the law to redeem us who were underneath the law. So we see law here, and we see how law was supposed to point to our sin and show us and make us aware of our sin and our need for a Savior. And then this shows us, this picture shows us how Jesus fulfills that place as Savior in every way for us. And so, again, what we're looking at this through this is the whole book of Luke is showing us, establishing who Jesus is. We need to be dependent on the gospel. We need it at all times. This p- picture uh, particularly points us back to the law, which gives us an understanding of our sinfulness and our need for a savior. And so with all this being said, right now you're probably thinking like, like, man, like this just sounds like there's a whole bunch of stuff just packed into one, like a a few verses. And it kind of feels more like this than, than segmented and, and, and clean. And it is, it's true. Like right what we're about to read right now is just like interwoven so meticulously that you're just like, when you see this, you're going to be like, man, there is no way that a man could have wrote this book. There's just no way. Because Jesus in every place shows himself to be our savior. So one other thing that I want um, to explain to you is that in this passage, um, what we're seeing is, is also a, a witness. 
uh, again, establishing who Jesus is. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and 2 Corinthians chapter 13, what we see is that any testimony needs to be established by two or three what? Witnesses, okay? So again, here, in light of the law, in light of us needing a savior, in light of Jesus being the savior, we have witnesses in this passage that are going to confirm that Jesus is again indeed who he is, which is the savior. And this passage really that we're about to read in 21 through 24 really should go all, I'm stopping it because like after doing all of this, it's like I'll keep you here all day if we go any further than three or four verses. Okay, um, but it really should go down to verse 40. And in that all, we see witnesses. We see Joseph and Mary as witnesses. We see Simeon as, Mar- as witnesses. We see Anna as witnesses. And then we even see God as a final witness. Check out verse 40 in Luke chapter two, all the way down to verse 40. And you see in the child groom became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. So even God was a witness as to who Jesus, Jesus is. And so with all this, Okay, with all this being said, let me summarize and simplify for you. What we're seeing in this passage is a witness about who Jesus is. We're establishing through the book of Luke who Jesus is. Witnesses are solidifying and confirming who Jesus is. The law in this passage is pointing us to who Jesus is in a specific way. That is a savior for salvation, the one who pays the price, the penalty for the law and brings us back into a relationship with God. And the goal is that you would be dependent upon the gospel and that you would look to Jesus as your savior. You guys okay? You with me? All right, let's read verses 21 through 24. 21 through 24. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, In the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, I know when you read that, you're like, what? Like, what in the world does that say, right, or mean? Which is why you should maybe try to read the passage prior to coming on Sunday, because I know at first glance, like, I'm like, okay, this is like, something's wrong here, right? Like, this isn't supposed to be what it says. Now, let's read this again, because I just want you to become familiar, because we, I'm going to help you see the treasures that are in here, but we got, we, I want you to become familiar with the, what the text is saying. Let's say, let's read it one more time, okay? 21. And at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, 
a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So you still, I'm sure, don't, don't get it fully. I know, this is hard. But listen, okay? What we're going to see here once again, Luke is establishing who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? And specifically, looking to Jesus for salvation. We've looked at him, to him as a king. We've looked to him in a variety of different ways. Today, specifically, who is Jesus in regards to salvation? And I'm gonna walk you through this. My goal, again, is that Jesus, you would wholly lean upon Jesus for salvation. You would go to Jesus again for salvation. You would functionally live like Jesus as your savior is the one who gives you right standing before God. You would, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ would grip you again in the fact that it's paid for your sins. What do we see in this passage? We're gonna walk through it. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the savior. Now listen, stay with me, okay? The first thing that we see in our passage is that Jesus is the savior. So if we start in verse 21, okay? I want you to walk through this with me, so keep your Bible open. In this passage, what we see in verse 21 is that Jesus is the savior. How do we see this? Well, it says this, and at the end of eight days, okay, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised, when he was circumcised. So what we're seeing in this picture is at the end of eight days of what? Eight days of him being born. Go up to chapter two, verse seven, Go up to chapter two, verse seven, and it says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we're talking about eight days after that of her giving birth to the Savior. Now, at the end of eight days, he was what? Circumcised, which is necessary for the law, to fulfill the law. Now again, we talked about what does the law do? Again, over and over and over again points us to our sin and our need for a. So when Jesus comes, you're looking at it and you're saying, here he is, I'm already convinced of my sin, I got him, I want him, I need my sins paid for, right? That's what the law is doing. So how is circumcision doing it? Because in this law, we're gonna see three particular ceremonies, okay? In, in, the, in the law being shown here in our passage from 21 to 24, we're gonna see three particular ceremonies, all of which are going to accomplish that end, point us to sin, our sin and our need for a savior. The law worked like this, okay? You have like the big time mosaic Jewish law, right? And that's like you see all over the Old Testament. You're like, where does the law end? Where does it start? Well, it's like almost the whole thing, right? We just see law. And then we see in, in the scriptures that there are, th that those, that law is kind of summarized. God neatly packages the, the, the law into what? 10 commandments, which kind of summarize the Mosaic law. But then he gets even further and he summarizes the whole law in two commandments, which is what? Love God and Love your neighbor, okay? So that's how the Mosaic law worked or the, or the Jewish law worked. And you see even in the 10 commandments where we would get those two from because 
Uh, the commandment number three, four, deals with the Sabbath, right? Keep the Sabbath as, as holy. What does the Sabbath do? Well, the Sabbath was a time in which you didn't work, you didn't do anything except reflect on God and his, and his, and his law and, the, and your love for other people because the first few in, in the Ten Commandments deal with only with your relationship with, with who? God. And then the end part of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with who? other people. And so that middle one's there to, to, to kind of make you reflect on the, the top and on the bottom to see, okay, this is, how am I doing in those two things? Which easily then shows us how we can summarize those into just two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, right? So this law was, was meant to point us to God, point us to others, and point us specifically to, to the sin. Now this law, this first ceremony, was circumcision. Now here's what you need to understand, that in this passage, the emphasis is not on circumcision, okay? It just says kind of when he was circumcised, something else particularly happened. But nonetheless, the law is being fulfilled here, and the law is happening. What is, what's going on with this circumcision? Well, the circumcision was ultimately, it was a real thing, but it was meant to show also a symbol of something, which was what? Which was cutting off the flesh. Cutting off a flesh to be set apart for God. Because the law ultimately points us to what? Sin, right? And what does this point us to? Points us to the flesh. And how it brings forth what? Death. And so we want to cut off the flesh. We want to cut off the sin. And instead, be dedicated to God. And so that's what's happening here. And it would happen on the eighth day. We're going to see this in a second, but when a, when a woman gave birth, okay, there'd be, there'd be a 40-day period. Okay? And there would be seven days of time of purification. And on the eighth day, there would be the circumcision. And then in the remaining 33 days from the seventh day would be another time of purification, 40 days total, which I'm telling you, this passage is crazy. There's no one who could write this because, I mean, just think about all the symbolism that would take place and the typology that would take place in pointing us to Jesus in the 33 years he lived on earth, in the displaying of his pure life, in the 40 um, of God's people in the desert, uh, 40 years, or the 40 days in which during the temptation of Jesus, or the remaining, the the 33 years in which Jesus uh, lived to show his his purity his pure life, what I've already said. But like we just see so much going on here. Um, But one of the things, again, was that the eighth day was the day in which this child will be circumcised. And so we see this in in the Bible all over. But Genesis 17, 12, look at this, ready? He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. And then we see Leviticus 12, 3. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be what? Circumcised. Now, even go back in our own book that we're looking at and look at chapter 1, verse uh, 59. Chapter 1, verse 59. We see, and on the eighth day, this is about John the Baptist, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, and they called him John. So what we see is this circumcision taking place, them keeping the law, the naming is going 
going to happen on this day. We even go back and we see in chapter 2, verse uh, 7, which we've already looked at in regards of this being eight days from his particular birth. And so we see this circumcision happening, this cutting off of the flesh, this symbol of this covenant to God. And in the midst of us seeing this, this circumcision, this taking place, this flesh needing to be cut off, this, um, this keeping of the law, which the law was meant to point us to our sin, we see that it goes on further. Listen, ready? It goes on further. And it says, on that day of the circumcision, he was called what? Jesus. Joshua, literally Yahweh saves. And so we see this need for cutting off of the flesh. We see this need for dedication to God. We see this understanding that the law points out our sin and leads ultimately to death. And yet in the same sentence, we see this Jesus who is the what? Savior. He saves from sin, from death, from the flesh, to bring us into the family of God. Because what's happening here, listen, in this first section, is the emphasis is not on the circumcision. The emphasis is on the naming, the naming of Jesus that happens on that eighth day. That's what the emphasis is on. And so this is pointing us, solidifying, showing us who Jesus is. Who is he? He's the Savior. This is in regards to salvation. He saves us from our sin, from our flesh, from the penalty of it, which is death. This shows the special role, the specific purpose of Jesus. And the emphasis is not on the, the, the circumcision. The emphasis is on the name that on that day we would see that Jesus is the Savior. Now, this is what it says. Look at verse 21 again. At the end of the eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now flip back to chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. And we see the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. And so what we see in this first verse, plain and simple, with, with one sentence, we see this law which points to sin, the necessity to cut off the flesh, the penalty of it being death, and the need for us to be saved from it, and yet Jesus as the savior the one who saves us from this. And what this section shows us, listen, is that our sin is great, and yet Jesus is greater. And Jesus, the specific role in which he came, who is Jesus? He is a savior. That's the purpose. He came to save you from your sin, because in your own flesh, in your own flesh, you have sin, and that sin will ultimately lead to death. 
Not pure physical death, but spiritual death as well. Separation from God for all of eternity. Because God is holy and he's perfect. And in your own flesh and in your own sin, you will actually be cut off from God for all of eternity. And yet Jesus comes as the one who saves you from that, from sin and from death, and brings you into the family of God. And so for me, listen, again, this, this can so easily become mundane and normal. Like, yeah, I know that. Jesus is a savior. Duh. We talk about that all the time. But let me ask you, how do you functionally live How do you functionally live? What do you live like when you think through what will ultimately save you from the penalty of your sin? Do you live functionally trusting in Jesus as your savior? Do you look to him? Do you look to your own accomplishments, your own great success, your own right standing before God, or are you well aware of your sin and that points you to the need for a savior? Because again, when you're so aware of your sin, you see how great a need you have to be saved from it. This section points us to our sin being great, but our savior being greater. My encouragement and my hope for you is that you would wholly lean upon Jesus as the one who saves you from the penalty of your sin. And that that's would be what you would trust in, what you would trust in. The second thing that we see in our passage as we move along is, uh, is two more ceremonies in this sense. Or, um, and, the, 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 and, and, the second, and, and these next two ceremonies, listen, again, they're interwoven, and so you're gonna have to follow along with me to understand where to separate these things to, from, and from each other. So the second thing, listen, that we see in our passage, you ready? The second thing that we see in our passage is that Jesus is the sacrifice. That Jesus is the sacrifice. So who is Jesus? We look to Jesus for salvation. This passage is pointing us ultimately to Jesus for salvation. Who is this Jesus as Luke establishes this? Well, the second thing that we see is that Jesus is the sacrifice. So read 22 through 24 with me, okay? Come on, look at, look at the text. Ready? And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now again, this isn't separated perfectly, but what we see is in verse 22, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem. We we see in verse 24, jump down, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two two, um, pigeons. Let me tell you what's happening here, okay? Ready? Listen. After a time of giving birth, okay, after a time of giving birth, here's what God would do. He would instantly remind you, don't forget, although this is a joyful time, although this is great, you've just had a child, let me remind you by the act of circumcision that you're still a sinner and this child is a sinner. 
You're like, great, thanks a lot, God, for doing that, right? It's supposed to be a joyful time. But by doing that, it was the most loving thing that he could do because it, again, sets you up for your need for a savior. So he does that, and the, again, the law always points you back to the sinfulness that you have, right? And then he does this again in regards to the purification. I just had a baby, right? And here's what would happen. I, the, 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 the mother of the child, after having the baby, would have to go through a time of purification, Okay, of purification, and, and this was the law to, in order to point again back to the, the sin, the uncleanliness. Now here's what this purification would look like. Again, it would be seven days. The eighth day, the child would be circumcised. Another 33 days before this mother would be able to touch anything holy. Okay, so again, this mother is pointed back to her own sinfulness, the child's sinfulness, in the midst of having this child. Yet, think about this for a second. In this, God is purifying and, and, and making them holy again, set apart but not permanently, and we're gonna see that in a second. So now, with this being the case, let me just also tell you this, and I don't know really what this means, okay, you guys can interpret this however you want, but if there was a girl born, then the girl, if there was a a child who was a girl being born, then the the mother, the the woman, she would have to go through this purification for a, a, a doubled amount of time. Okay, so like, I don't know if that's saying like, girls, you're worse than, than boys, and so now the mother has to go through like more time or what, but it's true, okay? So the boy, if a boy was born, I'm just telling you what's really here, stay with me. If, if a boy was born, the mother had to go through seven days, eighth day circumcision, 33 more days. If a girl was born, it would be two weeks, 14 days, and then it would be another 66 days, a total of 80 days rather than a total of 40 days. And so here what's happening is there's this time of purification that's here. And when the time came for their purification, it says, look at this. This is the second ceremony, right? Their purification. Now, why does it say their purification? Because you're like, well, this purification really only belongs to Mary, right? Well, here's what's happening probably, is that they're so close to Jerusalem, right? Because they had the baby in the city of Bethlehem, which is the city of who? David, which is close to Jerusalem, which is where the temple is. Now you don't have to, in order for the purification time and in order for the, and during the dedication time, which we're going to see as the third ceremony, you don't have to go to the temple. Okay, you don't have to. You could do that from far away, but they're so close, they're going above and beyond, they're going to the temple during the time of the purification for the dedication of Jesus. And so while that is is happening here, um, there's only so far that a woman at this point could go inside the temple, and so she's got to stop at some point, so Joseph was probably necessary, the baby was with them and so kind of the writer I think is Luke is just encompassing everybody there's a time of purification and it says look at the verse 22 according to the what law of Moses which was meant to point us back to what sin and they brought him up to Jerusalem but then what we see and so there's this purification so literally like sorry to be graphic but this time of cleansing from the blood in which you would be separated from the holiness of God or anything holy and this time of purification was necessary to happen but there was more that would come with it. Look at verse 24 at the end of this because verse 24 correlates with the time of purification not the dedication which is the third ceremony. 
And to, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let me say one more thing. At the end of this time of purification, what would need to take place would be that this woman would offer a sacrifice. The sacrifice would usually be a, a lamb and a bird, okay? But if you were, and lambs are expensive, that's like a month's or so wage, right, that you're thinking through. But if you are poor, God allowed you to offer two birds rather than a lamb and a bird. And so what do we learn about Mary and Joseph's situation even more in this passage? That they're what? Poor. Which again points back to Jesus being born into the manger in a poor, humble situation, which we talked about a few weeks ago. So we see all of this. Let me just show you this, ready? The time of purification ending with a sacrifice. And all this is meant to point us to something greater. That this was, a, this was necessary for purification at that time, but after Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for our sin, he purified us before God once and for all. Once Jesus was offered as the sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, you are then now purified, cleansed by his blood to be in right standing with God. This passage is showing us who Jesus is in regards to salvation. And this picture is showing us a greater picture that Jesus is the sacrifice who cleanses us and purifies us. Look at this lest you um, don't believe me, I, I want to show you. Leviticus 12, 1 through 4, I don't want you to just take my word. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days as at the time of her menstruation she, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. And then what we also see is in Leviticus 12, 6 through 8, and when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering and he shall offer it before the Lord to make atonement for her. And then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for who uh, for her who bears a child, either male or female, and if she cannot afford a lamb, then she will take the two. T then she will take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be what clean. We see, though, that at this point, we don't need to offer any more sacrifices in order to be clean, because Jesus is the sacrifice that makes you clean before God. And I just wonder, in regards to salvation, we're almost done here. Listen. Do you feel dirty because of your sin? And what do you look to for cleansing? Maybe it's just time. Maybe you say, hey look, if I just stay clean for enough time, then 
I'll be clean before God. Or maybe it's some kind of work. And I want to tell you that that's not the answer for being cleansed and being clean from your sin before God. The answer is a sacrifice that with his blood has cleansed you from all of your unrighteousness and puts you into right standing before God. And Jesus is that sacrifice. So Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the sacrifice. Sin makes me dirty before God, but I can look to Jesus to be clean. And then third, what we see in our passage as we look to who Jesus is, as we look to the law that points us to this, and that we look to um, Jesus um, fulfilling these things ultimately, is that we look to Jesus as the Redeemer. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the sacrifice. And lastly, Jesus is the Redeemer. So we have one more ceremony left, because how many did I say we had? Three. We've seen two so far. Circumcision, the purification, and the last is this dedication. Okay? Dedication. And really what we see, this look down at your passage. We're almost done here. Um, what we see in this is a is a dedicating of Jesus to the Lord. Now again, this didn't have to be done at the temple, but this was being done at the temple, and what we see is that they brought him up, look at verse 22, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to who? The Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy, which means set apart to who? The Lord, right? And then we see that last part in verse 24 relating to the purification. And so what we see now is this third ceremony in which they are keeping the law. The law is always meant to point us back to what? Our sin and our need for a Savior, and we've seen how it's done it in these first two, and then this third one is in the same way. So what we know is that this section points us to the need for redemption. So what would happen is after this child would be born, um, the, the family would then dedicate this child um, to God. I think it was after 30 days. Um, they had to wait 30 days to, to no, wait, here's what it would happen. They would dedicate the child to the Lord, and they had to wait at least 30 days to do one very specific thing, because after they would dedicate this child to the Lord. It was really like dedicating the child to the priesthood, but the only ones who would ultimately be priests for the people of God would be the tribe of what? Right, Levi, the Levites, the Levitical priests. And so really, and, and they were not from the tribe of, of Levi, they were from the tribe of what? Does anyone know? Judah, right? And so this dedication of Jesus to the Lord, ultimately, here's what would happen when you dedicate this child to the Lord. You would then, I think, after 30 days, be able to redeem the child, mean purchase them back from the service of the Lord. It'd be, I think, five shekels to purchase them back to be in your family. And that's not said here, but ultimately implied that they would dedicate Jesus to the Lord and then ultimately one day buy him back in order to keep the law. And what we see ultimately for the sake of time is that's exactly what happens in the gospel, except we are not purchased back by Jesus being the payment. We're not purchased back from God, we're purchased back from our slavery, and we're purchased back into the family of God. And so this was set up during this time in the Exodus, during the time in which God's people were
were slaves, right? They killed the firstborn child of the Egyptians, representing sin and darkness, and then instead, God said, I'm gonna take the firstborn of my people, Israel, and I'm gonna dedicate them to the Lord. A substitution would take place. Kill the, the, the firstborn of the Egyptians, right? Take the firstborn of my people and, and dedicate them to me. A substitution was taking place. That's what was set up, but then you could redeem the child back. And so there's slavery, there's dedicating, there's substitution, and there's purchasing back into your family. And ultimately, what we see in this picture for the sake of time is that Jesus fulfills all of this. Is that Jesus is the payment to redeem us back, not from God, but to God, from our slavery into the family of God. He's the payment, and he purchases us back. You see, we're enslaved to our sin, and because of that, your master will decide your fate. But when Jesus pays the price, which is himself, not five shekels anymore, but him and his blood, he redeems you back from your slavery and the punishment of it into his family for all of eternity. Exodus 13, two. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Exodus 13, 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons, I do what? Redeem. Numbers 18, 15 through 16. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. Numbers 3, 13. And the redemption. Uh, oh wait, go back to that one. I didn't read the end of that. And the redemption price at a month old, so there it is, 30 days, right? Which brings into light uh, Jesus 30 days prior to his earthly ministry. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things that we could think through here. At a month old, you shall redeem them. You shall fix at, uh, at five shekels in silver, according to the shekels of the sanctuary, which is, um, which is 20 uh, geras. And so we see also, ultimately, also in Numbers 3.13, look at this, for all the firstborn are mine, and on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own, here's the substitution, all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and beast, they shall be mine, I am the Lord. And so church, what I wanna show us is that Jesus is ultimately fulfills this in being our redeemer. And so this passage, once again, Luke is continually showing us the divine purpose of Jesus and who he is. And this passage is only full of issues that deal with salvation. And we see first that Jesus is our savior. He saves us from the penalty of our sin in flesh, which is death. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Wholly depend on him for your salvation. Secondly, we see that Jesus is the sacrifice. He was offered in order to purify you by his blood and make you clean before God. And third, Jesus is the redeemer. He's the price. 
that was paid to buy you back from your slavery that you could come into a relationship with God, church. Look to Jesus, please. Look to Jesus, depend on him, and live with him as your savior. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I keep saying I want to make these things shorter. <laughs> but God, there's just so much here in four verses. I don't know what else to do except for us to just look at this and soak this up and love this and treasure this and be captivated by your word. God, I just pray for these people in this room, for myself, that we would look to Jesus for salvation. God, that we would look to him as the Savior, although we have sin in our flesh that will ultimately lead to death and it needs to be cut off. Jesus is the one, the Lord, you save from the penalty of sin and death. Help us to look to you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would look to you as the ultimate sacrifice that was given, that, was, uh, that would purify us and make us clean, though our sin makes us dirty, and we've got so much baggage because of our sin. We can be clean before you, God, when the blood of the Lamb covers us. And God, I pray that we would look to you as the Redeemer, though we are in slavery to sin and we need to, the price needs to be paid to buy us out of that slavery. Jesus, you and your blood and your work on the cross are the price. You paid the price in your death and your resurrection that we would be out of slavery to sin and in the family of God for all of eternity. Help us, God, to look to you Help us to look to you, Jesus, for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.